This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Last Sunday of Playlist 2023, I'm so thankful that we get to be here. Just so you know, I was in the announcements, but I want to make it clear. Next week, we start meeting at two campuses at the same time. We're super excited about that. Just to explain that for a second, this is not, um, there's nothing that we roll out that's going to last forever. Okay, y'all listen to me. What we do is we take what we need in the current season and what we have available is resources, and we're just trying to constantly allow God to speak vision for that current season. And right now, we know that really here at Eastgate, we don't have room to grow, and so uh, we, we've kind of hit that ceiling. And so next week, we'll be meeting in two different places, adjusting the service times here. All right, so next week will be 9.15 and 10.45 here, and then we'll be 10 o'clock downtown, okay? All the, the experiences are exactly the same, okay? So the exact same worship songs, the exact same message. I, I will literally be preaching everyone live, okay? So you're not having to decide about what the experience is going to be like. It's just an opportunity for us to create some seats, because here's what we know. Many of you have been super engaged in inviting people. Would you come to church with me? Come visit my church. I believe it'll bless you. But what happens is most people who come into a church that's about 80% full, all of a sudden they go, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know if they need me. And, and it's really just tough to get above that 80% mark. We've been well above that for over about six months. And so it's time to do something about it. That'll all happen next week. If you go, downtown is not huge, all right? We can only get about 200 people per service, okay? So if you get there and it's full, all right, I just want you to know you want to get there early, okay? If you say in 10 o'clock is my time, you want to get there early. If it's a little full and they have to, it's easy, they'll just send you right on over here to the 1045. It's not that far. It's only about a five-minute drive, okay? So that's how it's going to work for the next few months. Man, we're excited about it. Wait, can't wait for it. So today we're in um, the book of Malachi in playlist, right? The last week. And we featured the song Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. It actually came out in February of 1988. I was thinking as I was preparing for uh, this message, it's been a long time since I looked in the mirror and thought, man, you look good. You know, I mean, it just has. I'm at that age, right? I'm just at that age where every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, I did not know all day I had queso on my shirt right here. I didn't know. I just feel a little embarrassed every time I look in the mirror. This is actually was the number one song for Michael Jackson in 1988. And following his death in 2009, actually, this was the song. Okay, this was the Michael Jackson song that following his death took off again. Okay, so it went all the way in 2009, again, up the Billboard charts to number two. This is, I mean, there's a lot of complications around Michael Jackson. I just want to accept and, and recognize that. But really, when our staff suggested this song, I remembered a friend of mine's testimony. 
His name is Dr. Tom Major. He became a good friend of mine about, about a decade ago. We still remain friends to this day. Tom's a faithful man. I mean, literally loves Jesus, loves his family. He's a dentist, but not just a dentist. I mean, he's like the dentist, like taught dentistry in a program at the University of Miami. I mean, he is just like, he's like the dude. But he told me his story, his coming to faith story was, he had just went through a time when he felt so unsatisfied with who he was and where he was in his life. I mean, he went, he was like, you know, I have all the success Everything that in my, I feel like I'm supposed to do what I'm doing. It, it's just, I've got all the accolades. I've got all the awards. I've got, I've got this growing practice. I've, I've just got it all. But I feel empty inside. And he said one morning, he was, he was doing his just morning routine, getting ready to go to work. And he just caught a glimpse of himself and he stared at himself in the mirror. And he was just so unhappy with who he was. And on his drive into work, he, he heard this song, Man in the Mirror. He remembered seeing himself. And you know, in, in the song, part of the lyric is, I've got to make a change. And for him, the change was, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And he did. And he lived it out. I mean, I, I love, he was one of those people that I, he was so easy to lead and you just point him one direction and he'd just start running that way. But it all started with a look in the mirror. You know, that's not just this song. James chapter 1 talks about it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know that God's Word is designed to be a mirror. It's designed to show us our reflection. To show us where we've been sinful and where we failed God and where, where God designed our lives to go. And This little verse in James is, don't, don't just look in the mirror and walk away and forget what you see. No, actually, do something about it. And the book of Malachi is in many ways, it's an invitation to look into the mirror of God's Word and to do something about what we see. Okay? So today we're going to look at it. Malachi is a typical uh, minor prophet, only four chapters. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we read through a passage out of Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. This is God speaking through Malachi to the people of God. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how? Are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. Almighty. Can we pray together? Father, as we look into your word today, we ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, and change us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated as you take a seat. Touch your neighbor and say, let's look in the mirror. Oh, now you might want to touch them back and say, I don't know if I'm going to like what I say. Just to review the Old Testament and kind of give you the, a, a simple paradigm for understanding the Old Testament. The Old Testament is built on four major events, okay? So we begin with Abraham. This is God beginning to this move of redemption after the fall of man, the beginning of Genesis. And, and I just want to remind you, God didn't start a church. He started a family, and that family becomes a people. They're exiled. They are in Egypt. God then raises up Moses to deliver his people to his promised land to them. Once they get into the promised land, that people becomes a nation, and God establishes a kingship over them, beginning with Saul, who was a bad king, but then King David becomes the prototype for the good king. Now, if you've paid attention throughout this series, most of the kings were bad, okay? They just were. And out of judgment, God sends first the Assyrians, then the Babylonians to judge them. Um, and this leads to the period we know as the exile. So where are we today? We're in post-exile. After the exile, when the people have returned back to Israel. Now, last week we looked at the book of Hezekiah. Haggai and Hezekiah were instrumental in motivating the people of God to rebuild the temple. Why is that important? Okay, It's important because a holy God wants to dwell with his unholy people. God desires relationship with you. God wants to be with you. And in the Old Testament, the way that God did that was the temple. You would go and make sacrifices. And because you made sacrifices, that would for a period of time make you clean and make you, because it would atone for your sins, it would give you the access to the presence of God. Now we know Jesus is the full and final payment. He is the perfect sacrifice. Right? We don't live in that system anymore. But in those days, this is why the temple was so important. So the temple was refinished in 515 B.C. And then it's Malachi, which dates to around 445 B.C. Right? So it's about 60 years. It's about 60 years. Now, I want you to think about what 60 years can mean. Okay? Just contextually for us. 60 years ago was 1963. Most of us, if you were alive in 1963, just raise your hands, okay? Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here, okay? The rest of us need some of your wisdom, okay? 
1963. You, if, if you were alive in 1963, you remember it because in 1963, John Kennedy was assassinated. Just two days later, the person arrested and believed to be the, the person that was, had killed him, Lee Harvey Oswald, was killed. All right? Can't imagine the turmoil in a nation after the, all of that had happened. In 1963, let's just get a little local. Uh, a group of students sat in at Woolworth's department store in Greensboro, North Carolina. In a, really, the, the budding civil rights movement of the 1960s that happened in 1963. Now, if you look around today, we don't live in that world anymore, do we? It's a little different. Things have changed. Some things for the better, some things for the worse. But it's changed. In the day of Malachi, it had changed too. And it brings me to the first point, and I just want to go ahead and make this. The most consistent truth about humanity displayed in the Old Testament is our inclination to drift towards rebellion and selfishness. It is the most consistent truth about humanity that's on display in the Old Testament. They get in a bind, cry out to God. God shows up and delivers them. And over time, they begin to drift again towards rebelliousness and selfishness. Now, full stop for a second, okay? That's true of them, but that's true of us too. That's true of us. There are plenty of us, me included, who have been in a place where there's nothing going to happen in my life unless God shows up. And we begin to promise God, God, if you'll do this, I'll never do that. God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll never get into another one. And all of a sudden, God shows up and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And we get out of it and start feeling like, oh, and we start drifting and drifting and drifting. And drifting. If you're a parent, you know this is true, right? Because good parents discipline their kids. And why do we discipline our kids? It's not fun. I can tell you that. I had to give one of my kids a spanking yesterday. It's like the worst thing in the world to give a kid a spanking. But why do we discipline our kids? Because somebody's got to teach them how to be good. They figure out how to be bad on their own. It's natural. Because of the original sin embedded in our creation to be rebellious and selfish. That's why a good parent disciplines. And that's actually what you see God doing in the Old Testament. Showing up and disciplining. Hebrews 12 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but instead it's painful. This is why a friend of mine who's a, a principal at a private school said one time, if you have to spank your kids a bunch of times, you didn't do it right. Because it's supposed to hurt, Okay. It's not pleasant, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Just look at that. Discipline is training, and it's pushing us towards a harvest. What's that harvest? Righteousness and peace. Just lean into that for a second. Righteousness means for you. You might be like Dr. Tom. Things just don't feel right. Something doesn't feel right in my career. Something doesn't feel right in my heart. Something doesn't feel right in my marriage. Something doesn't feel right in this world. That's righteousness. 
right? Peace. Some of you just feel conflict everywhere. And what the Bible is saying here is that if we will stay in the discipline, not try to get out of it, not try to run away from it, if we'll stay and let it train us, what will happen? We don't get out of the discipline. We stay in the discipline, and then when we stay in it, on the other side of staying in it, there's righteousness and peace. I've come to believe this. You will either live by design or you will drift towards defaults. God has a design for your life. He has a design for your marriage. He has a design for your kids and your family as you parent them. He has a design for your finances. He has a design for your friendships. He has a design for the way that you work in your career. God has a design. And we'll either live by design or we'll drift towards our defaults. And all of us have different defaults. We do. Some of us, in, in the middle of conflict, we default towards being very passive. Some of us default towards getting angry. All right, We all have different defaults. Your relationship with discipline will choose between God's design and your sinful defaults. And y'all listen to me. This is, this is not just receiving the outward discipline of God in life. This isn't just God having to blow up everything in your life. Every time you start drifting away, this is actually us learning to discipline ourselves. Learning to say, God, search me. Show me what's broken in here. Help me to respond to you. And in all honesty, this is an issue of reward. Did you notice that in the book of Malachi, we were just reading through it. He's like, return to me. And they're like, how do we return to you? He's like, well, stop robbing me first. Well, how are we robbing you? Well, you're not, you're not bringing the tithe. You're actually kind of mitigating it, bringing a partial tithe, kind of telling me you can't do it. God's like, no, bring the tithe. And he goes, because you're not doing this, you're under a curse. Did you notice that? Our behavior carries with it consequences. And in the kingdom of God, it's blessing and cursing. Malachi is a book where Malachi is calling God's people back into covenant relationship with God. This is the whole point of this book. You read any of the great commentaries on this little book of Malachi. It's all about covenant relationship. And I want to spend a moment, because really, if you've ever been to a wedding, if I've ever officiated a wedding, you'll hear me say the holy covenant of marriage. Okay, so marriage is a different relationship to be treated differently. Now, there are things in life that are contracts, okay? Let's just say that, okay? You hire somebody, come remodel your kitchen. I'm going to give you this much money, and you're going to do this. All right, some of you have signed employment contracts. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there these hours, and you're going to pay me this much money. Contract is, just think about it this simply, contract is you do and I do. That is not covenant. Okay? And this is going to blow some of your minds because this is how you think about your marriage. You do and I do. 
you do this and I'll do this. But if you're dishonoring, I'll be dishonoring. If you don't put away the dishes, I'm not going to. Listen, I'm telling you, that's not covenant. A covenant is an all-in binding agreement. It is everything I have, everything you have, binding in the sense there's no term limits. We don't get out of it. This is lifelong. And I need you to hear this. God went all in for you. I mean, God went all in. When we talk about covenant relationship, God took just in a poker game. I mean, God went all in. I got all the chips, and I'm going to go all in on a bet on you. And sure, this definitely represents the life of Jesus, that God would send His only Son to die for you. But it's everything else. God went all in so that you could have peace, so that you could have joy, so that you could know what love is like, so that you could live in abundance. God went all in for you. That's why next week we're starting a series called Eternally Sourced. Okay, listen to me. I believe what I'm going to share in the next few weeks is so life-altering that if you can get this into your, not just in your head, but in your soul, if you can get what I'm going to share in the next few weeks in your soul, it could change everything. We're going to talk about how God is real. It all starts with God. And really, this is why God is coming after Israel in this little passage that we read in Malachi 3 about robbing him. Because what he's saying is, listen, I went all in for you. Everything you've ever possessed, God gave you. And in a covenant relationship, God desires that his faithfulness be returned. He's been faithful to you. He wants you to be faithful to Him. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. The very last book. And in the book of Malachi, contextually, a, a remnant responds to the Word of God. Okay, Which is powerful that as Malachi speaks the Word of God, there's, there's some... But it's also obvious that this obstinate, rebellious, selfish people will never earn their way out of the mess that we've made. So Malachi prophetically looks forward to something that's greater. And we know that now to be Jesus. After Malachi... God goes silent for over 400 years. Theology, we would call this the intertestamental period. This period between the prophets of the Old Testament and the dawning of redemption with the birth of Christ. But the thing about this little book of Malachi, Malachi shows us that even today, God still wants us to be all in for him. So if I'm just going to make a simple observation, number three in your notes, if you want God to show up for you, 
show up for Him. Some of you right now, you need God to show up in your marriage. But are you showing up in your marriage for Him? I mean, are you on your knees praying, reading the Bible, asking God, would you, would you move in our, in our relationship? Some of you need God to show up with your kids. But you're not even trying to get your kids to show up at church with you. I mean, let's just be honest. Covenant relationship. God is all in for you. He wants you to be all in for Him. Now I need to say this. Because it bears being said. God is faithful when we are faithless. He is. And there are times in our life that we did not get it right. And we look back and I took all the wrong turns. But somehow, God, you got me where I was supposed to go. But please listen to me. When we are faithless, when we are making the wrong turns, we're missing out. We're missing out. We're not living in the blessing that God designed for us to have in this life. Galatians, I love this verse, chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I've often wondered why is this verse in the Bible? And I believe there's an obvious answer. We will be tempted to give up. We'll start something good. We'll experience the blessing of starting, which that is wonderful. It's a wedding day, right? Wedding days are amazing. That first day, that first week. But there's some hard work to do. But if we don't give up, if we don't back up, if we don't kind of walk away from the, the disciplines that God has invited. If we don't walk away from being all in to God, that just the right time on the other side of us not giving up, there is a harvest. But if you give up, you forfeit the harvest that comes if we stay and finish. In the book of Malachi, the people have backed up backed off and backed out of God's blessing. And this isn't just, can I just say this? This isn't just the blessing that comes with giving. Right after that, that passage of tithing, Malachi, again, the word of the Lord in verse 13, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. I'm going to be honest. There are categories I don't want to be in. God looking at me and saying, you have spoken arrogantly against me. It's one. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Notice what he says next. You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements? Like nobody in a modern era has ever said, I don't really get anything out of serving. 
don't get anything. It's kind of futile for me because I don't get anything out of showing up early to help set up or holding some kids in the nursery. I don't get anything out of it. It's futile to serve God. Now, can you be a Christian and not serve and give? Y'all listen to me. Yes, you can. But you'll be a miserable Christian. You'll be a miserable Christian. Galatians 6, 9. There's a harvest if you don't give up. What is that harvest? What do we harvest if we don't give up? It's righteousness and peace. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 12. If I don't give up on God, there's there's something on the other side that's going to feel right where everything feels wrong right now. If I don't give up, there's peace where only conflict feels right now. See, some of us need to be reminded of this. Number four, God always has more. God always has more. We read this earlier in Malachi 3. He's like, listen, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Some of us, we have believed the lie that all we have is all we'll ever have. When who gave you what you have? God. And we're saying, God, I refuse to be obedient with what I have because what if? And God's going, I gave you everything you have. I gave it to you. And all I said was, keep 90% and return back to me 10. I gave it all to you anyway. And notice what he says after this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God's saying, listen, if you're willing to not think that, to actually believe that I'm the God who provided and act as if that were true, I'm going to bless you. And this isn't, all, this isn't always just financial stuff, okay? Sometimes it is peace. But notice what else he says. And this is the first time this promise appears in the canon of Scripture, verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before they're ripe. What he's saying is not only am I going to provide, I'm going to protect what you already have. I'm I'm, going to make sure that you're taken care of, but I'm going to protect everything you possess. Could it be that you're not living in all that God has for you because you haven't surrendered everything to Him? I mean, this does, of course, mean that I surrender my income, that I surrender my time, that I surrender my talent. Because why? God always has more to give. God always has more. I go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with what you gave me? And I'm willing to do it because God's the one who gave it. And I trust that if He gave it and that's His plan, He can take care of me from this point forward. 
But I want to remind you of literally words the Bible says we should remember. You should remember Acts 20. The words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now for us, we say this behind the scenes, the person who shows up to serve leaves church with a bigger blessing than the one who shows up to sit. It's a bigger blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But can I, can I help you see this verse differently? Come on. Can I help you today? We always have more to surrender. For some of you, the blessing today is giving God a burden that you're trying to carry on your own. Surrendering your marriage, surrendering your finances, surrendering your spouse, surrendering your kids, surrendering your job, your career. It's giving it to God and saying, God, you said, cast all my burdens on you. So God, I'm going to give this to you. I know that there's a blessing. I don't know what it looks like. So what do you need to surrender to God today? What do you need to surrender? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your job, your finances? For some of us, it might just be our life. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.